are always opportunities to treat people as people and to kind of humanize the situation and not say, okay, well, I have to have a certain set of skills, how I treat this human being versus how I treat anyone in my uh, normal day-to-day. The data shows us that over 70% of Americans are one paycheck or lost paycheck away from a financial crisis within their household. That That is, at, at the core, what starts that cycle to potentially a person um, getting to being unsheltered. Homelessness is an issue most of us have seen, but few have understood. We see glimpses of it as we go about our lives, but rarely see its cause or solution. As a result, often our understanding of this issue becomes more of a caricature rather than a true picture. Today's episode aims to give us that picture so that we can see and empathize with the struggle of our neighbors and to help us better understand the approaches and technology needed to help those experiencing homelessness. On today's episode, I have the privilege of interviewing my friend, Raphael Holloway. Raphael is the CEO of Gateway Center based in Atlanta, Georgia. Gateway Center houses 482 beds for men who are enrolled in residential programs and actively working to end their homelessness. Gateway Center also has the foresight to invest in the technology needed to better serve their community, recognizing that technology is a force multiplier, allowing them to do more good and serve more people. Raphael, welcome to TechBridge Talks. Thanks for having me. Man, it is so good to see you, my friend. Uh, Listen, I know all about you. I'm a big fan, but tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, So as as shared by Adam, my name is Raphael Holloway. And I have the pleasure of serving as the CEO of Gateway Center. Gateway Center is a homeless service organization. And I stress that because oftentimes we're categorized as a shelter. And I think the shelter terminology is limiting in what we actually compare to what we actually provide. And so Gateway Center as a homeless service center provides a number of wraparound services, which range from meeting the basic needs of our guests that may come to visit us. Um, which include showers, clothing closet, medical services, IDs, birth certificates, but also access to what is called coordinated entry. Coordinated entry is that first step that an individual will take um, when they decide that they want to get off the streets and get into short-term residential or AKA shelter. When an individual is linked with Gateway, we begin the process of focusing in on our five keys to success. Those five keys include housing, um, stability and placement. Next is health and wellness, where we have an on-site federal qualified health clinic. Third, we focus in on employment readiness and job placement. Fourth is community engagement. We recognize that once an individual begins the process of stabilizing, setting goals, becoming focused, it's important to get that person reacclimated, reconnected with their family and with community. Finally, we have literacy, and that's adult literacy as well as financial literacy, both critical in the process of helping people get back on track to being stably housed. Man, I love that. And I love your mission, your vision, your approach, even even the language that you use about people experiencing homelessness is so intentional and thoughtful. And I really appreciate that about you. And so so I want to I want to let's take it all the way back to the beginning for a second, Raphael. What I want to talk about for a second is what is homelessness? How do you define it? Well, the simple definition of homelessness is when an individual or family doesn't have stable, safe, or appropriate housing. 
And and again, in layman's terms, basically any person living in a place not meant for human habitation, such as living on the streets, moving between uh, temporary or short-term housing facilities like Gateway. Uh, It also includes couch surfing, living with friends, or also living in hotels. We have a huge issue of that here in our city where um, people are staying in extended stays and they don't really have a stable long-term housing solution. And in some cases, people are even living in their cars. So that's a very base definition. HUD breaks homelessness down a little differently. And there's four categories, and that's literally homeless, imminent risk of homelessness, homelessness under federal statutes. And those are typically situations of unaccompanied minors under the age of 25. And then those individuals fleeing and attempting to flee DV, which is domestic violence. Then what happens in the definitely meeting the criteria component is that oftentimes it's difficult for people to track their homelessness over the past three years. Again, I have stayed with friends. I may have stayed to be required sometimes um, in certain situations to prove um, that you meet the definition of chronic homelessness to get access to services is a challenge. Yeah, that that's really helpful because I mean, some of the examples that you gave, I, I had not necessarily even thought of like I it, like it didn't necessarily occur to me that someone that's couch surfing might be considered to be experiencing homelessness and need and obviously need services or somebody that's in an extended stay uh, motel like so that, that's really helpful to kind of round out our understanding of like what that population looks like right and, and where they're where they're staying so so next uh, let's talk about the causes of homelessness I, I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of assumptions there, right? There's a lot of caricatures there. And I, and I have a hunch that those assumptions are usually pretty poor assumptions. So, so maybe kind of walk us through, like, what are the common assumptions and misconceptions? And then from your perspective, what are the actual causes or, or things that contribute to people experiencing homelessness? So I'm glad you said assumptions, right? So in preparing for the day, one of the things that always sticks out for me is the assumption that it couldn't happen to you. Mm. Homelessness no, has no boundaries. It can happen to anyone. And I think, unfortunately, due to the economic downturn that we've seen during this pandemic over the past 15, 16 months, we've seen new people experiencing homelessness, people experiencing homelessness and being new to it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so when we knew already that the data shows us that over 70% of Americans are one paycheck or lost paycheck away from a financial crisis within their household, that that is at, at the core what starts that cycle to potentially a person um, getting to being unsheltered. But there's other things. The other kind of criticisms or mistakes we make is that we label the patient, right? We assume that, oh, it must be a mental health issue or it must be substance abuse issues. When in fact, oftentimes those issues um, get exacerbated or become a problem after Mm. the person has become displaced because of the stress and anxiety that is associated with not having a home. And I I, I talk with a lot of my colleagues, community partners, and um, different interest groups around this because a simple exercise is, you know, leave your phone at home for a day. Um, Be without your cell phone and the privilege that we have in having a cell phone and how that keeps us connected. And what drives us is a desire to be connected, but the stress and anxiety of being disconnected can cause you to have, um, for a day, a little bit of stress, not necessarily trauma, but stress associated with that experience. Now, if you move that over a course of time, imagine being disconnected 
for a week, mm. two weeks, 30 days, and then we get into months and years, then that sense of inability to have any control and the vulnerability that you experience during that time is what leads to homelessness becoming a very traumatic experience. Right. And then the heightened issues of substance abuse and mental health. But at a core, it's societal issues that we all face and deal with. We continue to have a conversation about, especially recent, in the recent weeks, the issue of wage. Um, this, this entire employment, unemployment conversation and that people are fighting for their lives and needing to take the additional funds that were coming through unemployment, not to get over, but strictly to survive and use it as a moment, as an opportunity to try to find a job that had a higher wage and more stability. And that stability could even be just providing annual leave or sick leave, right? Many of the jobs that individuals are working in do not have leave associated with them. So they work in food service, retail, warehousing job. Yeah. You get common cold, but maybe you break a ligament or you know break a limb or you have some issue that forces you to be off work for long periods of time. Those individuals are who you start to see cycling into homelessness mm -hmm. because of the low wage to start with and then the loss of that wage. Um, we have the increasing cost of housing. We have an ongoing conversation around housing affordability in our city. If an individual was to, um, I think the average one bedroom is about 1500 a month for that to work and for you to spend 30% of your income, which is kind of the standard or the benchmark of what is used, you would need to make at least $40,000 a year in the city. Wow. That's tough. And that $1,500 unit is tough to find in the city, which leads to another problem related to transportation. Mm. To try to chase the rent or identify a rent that is affordable for you with the wage that you have, oftentimes forces individuals to live in communities that are not close or connected to where employment centers exist. Mm -hmm. So you're spending more income. Atlanta's a city that requires you to basically have a vehicle um to to get around to take care of your family child care education so that increased um, cost is another cause so we talk about low wage housing transportation but i also want to point out uh, another another fact and that's issues related to racial disparities mm. atlanta is 50, has a makeup of a population that is 53 53% black or african american however the homeless community, which Atlanta, in our last point in time count, um, accounted for about 3,200 individuals experiencing homelessness in our city. 89% of that number were individuals who were Black. So 53% of the population, but the vast majority of the individuals experiencing homelessness. So we have to talk about the issues of uh, systemic structural racism and inequality that exists. Uh, within our city and how that impacts or potentially sets people up to be on a trajectory to become homeless or definitely unstable and at risk, as I mentioned earlier, the, the imminent risk of becoming homeless. And so a wow. um, number of different things, but it's kind of the chicken or the egg, right? Yeah. So Raphael, be before we move to my next question, I want, I want to hone in on a couple of things you said. So you said 70% of people live paycheck to paycheck and, and when, so what that means is there's no savings. There's no, there's no emergency fund. 
And, and when something bad happens and there's no access to funds and there's nowhere to borrow it from and there's no relative you can get it from and there's no, there's no options, then a spiral can, or a sort of a downward spiral can very easily be created that can lead anyone. Let's just be clear. They can lead anyone into homelessness, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, it's critical for us to understand that because to your point, it's, it's so important to empathize with our neighbors. These are not people that, that can't be us. The, we're, these are people that can be us, right? We can be Absolutely. any one of those people. Okay. So then the next number. And can I just okay, add yeah. to that? Yeah. Just quickly that I think it's important for the listeners um, and the viewers to think about it. Close your eyes and picture if I had a financial crisis, who can I call? And I would imagine a, la- a, a large majority, if that household, so that's if you're partnered or not, if you and your partner or spouse had a financial crisis, you are depending on each other or you're independently depending on yourself. And if you don't have a resource, that home that you built, you, you will make some changes or potentially move in with someone if you have a network. But we're talking about people who, typically don't have a network. The other number that I wanted to mention too is, is you mentioned average rent for a one bedroom. Let, let me just repeat that. For a one bedroom is $1,500. Like that is, I mean, that's an astronomical amount of money for a one bedroom place. And, and then when you think about possibly someone that's supporting a child, like not only do they, do they then need to make 40,000 for that to be, you know, manageable, they really need to make quite a bit more than that because children are very expensive, right? And and so the the numbers just kind of skyrocket from there and it becomes it becomes untenable and very difficult to live to your point in the city near where the jobs are and and it becomes a real problem. So and there are a number of studies out there I, I can't quote the example but it's it's easy to search. Atlanta for years was ranked fairly high. I think we still are ranked fairly high because rent is going up across the country um, as far as being an affordable city. However, we're in like the top 10 when it's just rent. But when you incorporate the cost of transportation and childcare, we actually drop to the bottom 10 Mm -hmm. of cities and as it relates to affordability. So it's, it's a, again, to your original question around what causes homelessness is the systemic and structural issues that we have to address for all mm. that would then begin to reduce the number of people who uh, experience homelessness in our city. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so my next question, Raphael, and, and I think you've already sort of, sort of began to, begun to answer this already, but I'm going to ask you again anyway. Uh, how do you approach people experiencing homelessness? And, and I assume it's your five focus areas. So I'd love for you to just kind of walk through each of those focus areas real quick for us again, just to make sure we don't miss it, because I want to understand sort of the holistic approach that Gateway Center takes for those experiencing homelessness. Absolutely. So um, with our volunteers, which we have close to 5,000 volunteers a year, part of the training that we, and conversation that we have is just coaching people about how do we treat people as people? So I think it's first important that we understand the, the humanity of each other, right? And the respect, and the level of civility. And if we do that, the first approach is reproach respectfully and with a level of compassion. Um, I think what happens is that people have their fears that they haven't addressed. 
So let's probably address your fears first. Mm. Be know how to approach someone so that you can approach appropriately. When we enter each other's personal space, we we have some simple cues that we do. We acknowledge and make sure that you see me approaching. I state my name and I also state my purpose. When approaching someone that's experiencing homelessness, I think it's important to do the same. Again, as I mentioned, being someone that is unsheltered, living on the street, experiencing homelessness creates a high level of mistrust and a high level of sensitivity around being vulnerable. So your approach, which may be well intended, may be a trigger for a person that that has been experiencing homelessness for over time, who's been traumatized by that experience. And, and, and you haven't given them the respect of kind of trusting, building trust through the acknowledgement, sharing a name, asking their name, and most importantly, asking if they are okay with you approaching them. Mm-hmm. Once that's established, oftentimes you can have a conversation. Uh, people may have some immediate needs that they that they ask of you for as food or money or those kind of things. And I think before you, again, having a plan before you approach, if you're prepared to give a gift and, and provide that blessing to someone, fine. If not, then, you know, I would suggest maybe just acknowledging the person and eventually build a rapport over time, acknowledging that you see them, say hello, have a conversation. But don't always approach it feeling that you have to fix the situation in that moment, but listen and get a chance to learn what that person needs. If it's along your regular path, then that person may make a request of you and you can make an arrangement to say, hey, I'll bring you something tomorrow. I just don't have it today. Right. And I think if we do that um, and treat people with that level of dignity and respect, um, you will find that in most cases, most cases, you can um, get to hear their story. Yeah. And get yeah. to learn more about them. Now, I also advise don't be silly. You know, if you see a situation, pay attention to your surroundings. If it feels unsafe, then it may be. Don't engage at that moment. But there are always opportunities to treat people as people and to kind of humanize the situation um, and not say, okay, well, I have to have a certain set of skills Yeah, uh, how I treat this human being versus how I treat anyone in my uh, normal yeah. day-to-day. I mean, I love that. And, you know, and j- just to recap a little bit of what you said, you said approach with compassion. I love that. Build trust. So asking their name, giving your name, so important. And hear their story. You know, like, like I think recognizing that, that each of these individuals has a unique invaluable story is so important. And I, and I can't tell, I mean, on more than one occasion, I've sat down with someone experiencing homelessness and, and heard their story. And, and many of those stories are just unbelievable. Um, and, and some of them are difficult and some of them are, are really, really quite happy. Um, so it's been just been such a great experience for me personally, when I've been able to engage with people and just see them for who they are and for the value that they have. So I appreciate you Thank sharing you for doing that, Adam. That's a priceless gift. Mm. Again, no matter what people may say, we all enjoy a level of connectedness. That's right. It, it feeds the spirit. It feeds the soul. Mm-hmm. And so those conversations that you chose, and that person knows that you could have walked by, ignored them, stepped over, mm-hmm. done what most people have maybe done to them over time. But the fact that you gave that priceless gift of your time and compassion goes such a long way. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You, you connecting this feed to the soul. I like that. I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I wrote, I wrote it down. Connecting this feed to the soul. All right. All right. So, so Raphael, you know that, that we're tech bridge and we are all about 
alleviating generational poverty through the innovative use of technology, believing that you know technology is, is a force multiplier, allowing organizations like yours to do more good and to make more impact and to help more people. So I'd love for you to just talk about like what role does technology play in serving these issues? Absolutely. So uh, when you think of service, you have to have finances to uh, provide those services, right? So on a very simple level, we use technology as a way to ensure that we're being good stewards of dollars Mm -hmm. um, gifted and invested into our organization. Mm -hmm. On a program side, we actually have two systems that we use. One is because it's a uh, federally mandated system that works with our continuum of care. But it's good because it links Gateway with the other providers in the Atlanta continuum of care, as well as the Fulton County continuum, where you can see who's providing what services, where guests have been serviced in the past, Mm -hmm. and then just also kind of information share to have a better picture of what the needs are in our community. Mm -hmm. In addition, however, we have a separate system that helps us dive a little deeper into our case management services that we're providing. It's important for Gateway that we share with community and our funders and partners what our true impact is. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, the the initial system that I mentioned doesn't really um, help us with that. And and understandably so, because it has to be very broad for multiple users. The second system, which is Apricot by Social Solutions, allows us to truly um, create kind of a boutique uh, way of using the software that is uh, specific to our organization to tell our story, not just for what the grant is, but we wanna be able to know what we're providing, what the dosing was that it took for people to move to change through their, uh, meet their goals, but then also, how does that compare to national benchmarks? So examples, we're tracking uh, income. When people come in the door, uh, for those that can work, uh, do we increase their income? Why do we hear, again, back to the original issue, knowing that wage is important to a person's ability to stabilize their housing. Well-being, uh, we have a number of screening tools that we use to uh, see where a person was at, where we met them. And then once they um, transition from here, where they feel around their own self-efficacy and well-being based on behavioral health services and supports. We're also tracking, again, just a number of just other components because it is important that we tell a story about how people are re-engaged or, again, reconnected to community because that is what drives the funding. I think, great, uh, Gateway has anywhere from 8,000 to 10,000 people serve through their walk-up services and residential. And we have of that eight to 10,000, about 1,200 that go through residential. That's a great output number, but it doesn't really show an outcome of change. So our ability to use technology helps us better tell that story where people then know, okay, well, here's the ROI for my investment. And then also, what is the competitive edge? that we may have over other providers? What are we doing a little differently uh, that we know is effective and we have evidence now to support it because of our use of these um, databases? Great, I love that, I love that. And I love how you're talking about like, like to me, case management is a, is a huge part of that. And I think it's something that most people as listeners probably don't really appreciate or even or even fully grasp. But like, there's a lot of details 
that need to be captured when you're helping someone to bet, to best understand what have you done for them? What are you currently doing for them? And what trajectory are you putting them on for the future? And in doing all of that and capturing all that information, you're also gathering data that then helps you to understand trends and how processes can be, can be created to better help more people in the future, right? So so it's kind of a two-sided coin. Would you, would you agree with that? I definitely agree, I think. It's telling the story of the now, but it's also looking at what's what's on the horizon and what's needed. We're able to do simple things. SurveyMonkey is a great tool for us with our guests. A number of our guests have cell phones um, to different programs. And even even if they don't have service, as you know, many phones work with having access to Wi-Fi. So we provide Wi-Fi in our lobby and through all our building. And it affords us an opportunity to get feedback, the right. good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah. What are we doing well? What do they wish we had as a service? And so then we can then take that information and assess, okay, is this something that Gateway should do? Is this something that we should bring a partner in? How do we then check back with those guests and say, hey, how are we doing? It is important, 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 important for us that we treat and prioritize. We treat our guests, again, with that respect. But we wouldn't understand that we are driven by customer service. This is not a, hey, well, you're in need. You need to take it how you get it or else. No. Mm. There are people yeah. and there is a spirit of service that should that, that they should expect. And we try to hit that bar. And, we, and when we have errors, it should be that community as well as our guests have a form in which they can express that and share it with us so that we can do that. All right, so so I'm gonna Rafi, I'm gonna throw you just a little bit of a curveball here. So, okay. so bear with me. So two two simple questions. Uh, like let's just do a little thought experiment because because what I really want to want to rein in here is how effective technology is in helping us do more good. So so first question, simple one is roughly just ballpark estimate. How many individuals does Gateway Center impact in one year? Just give me a number. Uh, another number um, on any given year is anywhere between eight and ten thousand people. Okay, eight and ten. Drop off this past year was about eight thousand. Okay, so let's say eight thousand people. You said you've got you've got about five thousand volunteers, and you have a staff of, of about how many? We have a staff of seventy five. Okay, wow. So all right, so staff of seventy five. You've got a good volunteer base. You're you're helping a ton of people. Now thought experiment time. If you did not have your technology systems that you have. They all just went away. They didn't exist. How many people would you be able to help? Oh, uh, it would probably cut our numbers in half at least. At least. It's not greater. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Technology provides a level of efficiency. Um, technology allows us not to duplicate services with other providers. Um, yeah. It would, I, I think we cut it in half, if not even greater, uh, probably 67%. In what, who we would serve. Yeah, that, that's my estimate as well. I just, I just had to ask because, because I don't, I think we, we often don't fully appreciate how much technology allows, how much more technology allows us to do than if we were, you know, writing things down with a, a pen and paper. I mean, can you just imagine how difficult that would be? It, it would be horrible. I mean, the reality is we're working with limited resources, mm. so to be strategic in the placement of those services and where they're being implemented, but also technology helps ensure, again, that efficiency that we don't have people enrolled in three or four different programs that we can, you know, have some level of accountability to staff and our guests as it relates to what services are being rendered and and delivered 
but also as we touched on, just to really know where the gaps are, because if we can bring in a partner that fits a gap for us, then it, again, it builds more of that trust that we're trying to work on. Man, I love that. I love that. So, all right. So then, then last question, maybe a slightly selfish question. So I hope you'll forgive, but I know Gateway Center has done some projects with TechBridge. Can you talk about a little bit about those projects and how it's helping you to serve more people and, and just serve the community in general? So we, we have one that's in queue that we, we hope to uh, get moving forward. So let me, so the first thing is just providing access to um, software and hardware and supplies. TechBridge has a great program for nonprofits to help with offsetting that cost. Again, with limited resources, I think it's important um, that people have access to the best technology. TechBridge serves as a bridge to help you get there with, again, potentially with limited funds. But also, uh, we've had some um, great conversations around this dual data entry, right? So I mentioned Gateway working in two systems. And we have uh, begun the process of looking at how can we fix that, right? That is a it's labor intensive on staff. Um, and there's such, um, there, there are good business solutions out there. We just have to create the buy-in around how to have that integrated into an existing system. Mm -hmm. And that takes work, right? So it's not just as easy as uh, TechBridge does a good job of not just saying, hey, here's a product in a bag, go forth and have fun. TechBridge team does a good job of really helping you have the conversations set the strategy, serve as advocates, and to move initiatives forward because just like everyone, I think there's a need to have a conversation about the long-term effects and benefits and savings associated with technology that sometimes it's very difficult for individuals to see those benefits and you can't quite see the tree from the forest, yeah. but TechBridge does a great job of helping you engage in those conversations and set the table of sorts to begin moving that um, those types of big uh, system change solutions forward. And so those are some things that TechBridge has helped us with um, dreaming about. Mm. And then also how do we move from ideation to implementation? Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's, that's so good, Raphael. And, and I love, I love that you have that vision for technology, recognizing how much more good you can do if you if you make that investment now the the enormous payoffs down the road are just substantial and I, and i'm glad that I'm, i love that you think that way so um rafael this has been great you know thank you for the service that you provide to the community and, and really personally thank you for how you approach homelessness I, I i love your your approach i love the humanity and the empathy and the thoughtfulness behind it. And I really appreciate uh, what Gateway Center is doing. Thank you for um, not only this opportunity to speak today, but for the opportunity to um, talk about Gateway, but more importantly, the people that we serve. That's, right. That's what's most That's important. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I hope that um, listeners and viewers have an opportunity. Just to, if there's only just one component that sparks you to think about it a little bit differently, feel free to reach out to Gateway. We can be reached at gatewayctr.org. Um, there's a volunteer button. You can uh, email us questions, but we would love to have you be involved with our organization and our fight, our collective fight to help make homelessness rare, brief, and not recurrent mm. for all. I love that. I love that, man. 
Thank you for listening to TechBridge Talks, a podcast about breaking the cycle of generational poverty through the innovative use of technology. This podcast is produced by TechBridge. To find out more about our work and how you can be a part, visit techbridge.org. That's techbridge.org. Also, make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening and tune in next week for more great content.